For over 30 years, there has been one voice in the local Vancouver art scene that has stood above the rest, and that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations, from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of the few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and Canadian goods. We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today, or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved. A long time ago, in a city far, far away, CITR was born. In the decade ahead, America will be in space. CITR is already there. Astronaut Neil Armstrong had this to say about CITR. That's one small step for man. So vote CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Herbert R. Tarlick, Chairman. Why can't we live together? 
Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Exploding Hit Movies. This is your cinematically inspired program here, found on Vancouver's forceful community radio station, CITR. We are your voice of UBC here on 101.9 FM. Broadcasting at 590 watts here from unceded Musqueam territory, from the new student nest here on campus, here in Vancouver, to the lower mainland of BC. Elsewhere, you can find us on the web, www.citr.ca. We have live streams, all the podcasts there. You can catch up on past shows. Just hit the play button. If you go to CITR's site right now, Exploding Head Movies will be in the little ribbon up top. You can see whatever the heck I am doing. My name is Gak, and I will be counting all the midichlorians here for the next couple hours. So prepare yourselves for a treacherous in hive of villainy as it were put over the station those who are listening live at 604-822-2487 keep it short and sweet and to the point you can email me anytime radiofreegack at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter at 100 air exploding head movies is also on facebook tumblr and kind of on google plus and some people do ask about instagram i'm known as my office man it is December here, but the weather kind of feels radically so. It's definitely balmy. It's kind of tropical here at CITR headquarters. Studio A is turning into a sound. But outside, it feels like a pineapple express in many ways as the wind and the rain beats down. But yeah, exams start tomorrow here on UBC, so classes ended on Friday. The fall term's done, and the mood in the halls right now have changed as people gear up. Crunch time that way. Hanukkah started yesterday evening. It is the second night of Hanukkah right now. It's the second Sunday of Advent just passed. And of course, for us Finns, it was Independence Day yesterday. And Christmas is well on its way. Behind me, this is Boha with Aired Out. And this is off of Volume 1 of the Chapel Sound compilation. Available as a free download off the local collective's Bandcamp. Some of the other acts appearing on the Chapel Sound compilation include Michael Red. Eli Murrow, Jolin Rass, Jade Statues, and dozens of others. A great slice of the Vancouver scene. So we open the show with a short fanfare that we often hear in front of certain 
Films. And there was the London Symphony Orchestra with the 20th Century Fox Fanfare. It was conducted by the legendary composer John Williams. One of the most common places that we hear that tune is at the beginning of every Star Wars film. Though things will be a bit different this time as the seventh film, The Force Awakens, debuts next Thursday night. Since Lucasfilm's new owners are Walt Disney. Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2012 for about four billion bucks. And with that, uh, they picked up the rights to the entire Star Wars franchise. The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of Jedi joined the prequels in acquiring a Disney touch. The existing deals in place with 20th Century Fox means that the first film, which exploded onto the scene in 1977, will retain that opening melody for quite some time. John Williams is back to score The Force Awakens, but the lids are sealed on how it sounds, at least until the film screens. So what we'll do this week is something we could have done ages ago on Exploding Head Movies, but is now relevant, and that is profile John Williams' epic score to what was later retitled Episode 4, A New Hope. We'll opt for some lesser-heard cues, mostly to save some drama for either a continuation of a profile into the rest of the series, but we may also do some more work once The Force Awakens score gets released, so 2016 and its own adventure. We'll also touch upon some of the pop cultural ephemera that has accumulated with Star Wars after almost 40 years, so this won't be a simple replaying of the soundtrack. Mighty as it is, mostly because you probably have it memorized. But we'll also touch upon some of the themes that helped inspire what John Williams wrote down. And uh, there actually are some other film cues there that uh, are going to be bleeding obvious if you haven't heard them before. However, the actual song we opened with was Timmy Thomas's title track to his 1972 album, Why Can't We Live Together? And Thomas was a keyboardist who had worked with jazz greats like Donald Byrd and Cannonball Adderley. In 1972, he released his debut album after moving to Miami. And uh, due to the strength of his title track, something he initially improvised at his own nightclub and submitted as a demo. Record label decided to release it as is for going to live band option. So we just heard it as is. Hammond Gordon, sorry, Hammond Organ, a crude rhythm machine, providing percussion and then Thomas's vocals. It's been covered by acts like Sade, Joan Osborne, Steve Winwood, Santana, but at this point though, we know it as a sample used in Drake's monster song, Hotline Bling. And many people have copped onto it as a reenactment booth of the White Room featured in the Colored Lights video just outside CITR World Headquarters here just a couple weeks ago. It's live covers by acts like Sam Smith. As we fade that out. But Erica Badu also jumped on that cover. And uh, she uses an inspiration work with uh, fellow Dallas producer Zach Witness to release a mixtape with songs all about telephones, some covers and some originals. That mixtape was known, is still known, you know it, as You Can't Use My Phone, recorded pretty quickly, and uh, perhaps it serves as a kind of a long-awaited third part to her New America concept album, last heard with part two back in 2010, but as far as I can tell, this cover does not appear in the mixtape, since I'm kind of looking at the track list for the mixtape, but it was inspired by it, and otherwise it's known as the But You Can't Use My Phone remix, so Erica Badu, covering Drake's Hotline Bling. And it features a fake phone menu that could fit into a true 90s hotline. Now cast sample and an appearance, appropriately enough, by Seven Benjamin, Erica Badu, and Andre 3000's son. This is Exploding Head Movies. When you listened. When you used to listen to CITR. Man, I could almost get these lines right. <laughs> no.
fit into any of those descriptions, text me, because I really don't answer voicemail. seven-foot-tall menorah looks like? Well, Chabad at UBC and Hillel BC are bringing a wonderful Hanukkah event and want to celebrate with you. Join us at The Nest on Monday, December 7th from 4.30 to 5.30 for Grand Menorah Lighting. Dr. Martha Piper will be our guest of honor. There'll be donuts, latkes, chocolate gelt, and much more. See you all then, and we wish you and yours a very happy Hanukkah.
That album marked its 40th anniversary this year, though that track feels like it could still be avant-garde if released today. From the hissing of Summer Lawns, that was Joni Mitchell with The Jungle Line. And that 1975 album came between Joni's massive jazz pop album, Court and Spark, her first with the backing band known as the LA Express, and the 1976's Hegira, based on a road trip from Maine to LA. And Dissing Stands is a transitional album that moved away from Mitchell's past topics that were a bit more singer-songwriter confessional. By this point, uh, she had become a keen observer with astute poetics. And The Jungle Line features her on guitar, along with a Moog synth, plus some early sampling there. It was based on a field recording of the drummers of Burundi from Africa, and lyrics tied to the French painter Henri Rousseau, detailing his works combined with the imagery of modern city life the music industry, and the underground drug culture. Earlier this year, Mitchell had experienced a possible brain aneurysm. At this point, she's been recovering well, seemingly, but at this day and age, she's more of a painter than a singer. And in the background, this is Carl Fusick. This is uh, Isotopis 7. Perhaps in French, Isotopis 7. This is off of 2014's Relative Position of Figures. My name is Gak, and up next, we'll have a double shot of Todd Terrier the Norwegian producer, and he has an EP of remixes from his debut album. And his debut album was last year's It's Album Time. And I was originally going to share a Pepe Braddock remix of one of his songs until I realized, hey, I never played the original at all. So this will be Todd Terrier with Inspector Norse. Basically, at this point, almost a classic of modern dance. And we'll follow up a remix that he did of his own for a fellow Norwegian act. Todd Terrier here on CITR 11.9 FM in Vancouver. Thank you. 
This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, This Quarter lives. Favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com.
Nice little shot of modern Norway there for the eyes of Todd Terrier. Original name Todd Olsen. Yeah, she calls his record label Olsen. He was sort of playing up the idea of being a Todd Terry, just riffing on New York DJ culture. So we start off with Terrier's own Inspector Norse. That's off the 2014 album, It's Album Time. And then from this year, that's a remix they did for Yaga Yazist for their song, Oban. And Yaga Yazist are an Oslo octet that play experimental jazz. They were formed in 1994, but uh, when the BBC touted their 2002 album, Living Room Hush, as the best jazz release of the year, their reputation exploded internationally. Yaga Yazist's latest album is Starfire, and it moves away from jazz after lead songwriter Lars Hornfeth moved to L.A. to work on material. And he invited his bandmates to come over and work on some music in his apartment. He then went back to Norway to complete the record. And there's an additional connection between Terrier and Jaga Yazist. Uh, Hornfeth is also a member of Terrier's touring band. Something that's become a bit more prominent as the serial remixer finally put out his own material after 15 odd years. Now behind me we have a local act combined into a quick little spirit quest here. This is Landon and James Dean new song called Medicine. Definitely curious if Dean keeps his name in light of recent news about the porn star with that name now being called out for sexual assault by various women, including some of his co-stars and even his wife. Up next, we have uh, some Canadian experimental techno, starting with uh, some newish material from Astro Screamer. It's the alias that uh, used to be Dean Jones Armada. And the term gothic disco seems to bandy about his work. His latest EP is out of pieces. But as usual with him, uh, some rogue single tracks appear on his SoundCloud, and this will be one of them. This will be Astro Screamer with Targets here on Exploding Head Movies, CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, online at www.citr.ca. Thank you. 
Boing, boing, boing. Indeed. Prior to all those announcements, uh, from Yellowknife, the Northwest Territories, we're at Navaluvu with Imperial Loft, and that's off this year's album, Transport, which is available through the Columbus, Ohio label, Apothecary Compositions. And Navaluvu consists of Ashley Daw and Sammy Blanco, and uh, they've been combining intuition-based meditation on freeform composition for quite some time. And Sammy Blanco actually is a name that is familiar to me since I played some of his own material and then some of his other projects. I think he originally hails from Montreal. All signs point to them seriously being from Yellowknife. And I know Sammy Blanco is a bit of a territorial traveler. 
Anyways, uh, the Navaluvu Bandcamp profile states that their influences come from many areas of live electronic music like IDM, house, prog rock, and more. But uh, they pass through the Navaluvu lens in such a way that it's difficult to pin down. So they ask you to enjoy this mind-twisting offering and become inspired to create and share. And I think that's the first time I've played anything knowingly from the Northwest Territories. Definitely have Nunavut covered. And according to the Exploding Head Archives, or the good old Radio Free Gak records, if they're accurate, uh, this leaves the Yukon as the only place in Canada I haven't directly shared music from. Weird factoid that uh, I'll see if I can sort out one day. Though I typically focus on cities. At some point, I should definitely see what the American state count is, along with countries, planets, yeah. Uh, the background here, this is Headaches. This is a track called Steve, except uh, juxtapose those last two letters. So it's S-T-E-E-V, Steve. It's the project of uh, Landon Spears, formerly from somewhere in Western Canada. I love the ambiguity of uh, American press releases, what he calls now Brooklyn his base. And Steve is out through the Human Pitch label, which was up until recently called Connect, until a change just happened a few months ago, to the point that I think Headache Single is the inaugural release as Human Pitch. My name is Gak, it is 8 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to Exploding Head Movies here on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unsuited Musqueam territory here on the campus of UBC. And... Uh, we will slowly worm our way to the idea of Star Wars, but let's talk about the soundtracks that are coming out this week. Uh, first hint is right now the Force Awakens soundtrack by John Williams will not be out yet. We will have to wait until the magical Friday of the release. I think in the past what happened to some of the song titles, the musical selections and the titles have been spoilers for the films. But there's also the idea of uh, not ruining any surprises. Anyways, new soundtracks come from Lauren Balfe for the film American Hero, Ilan Ishkeri for Don Verdeen, Roque Abanos for In the Heart of the Sea, Joseph Luduka for the work on the TV series Ash vs. Evil Dead, and then uh, Alan Silvestri. There'll be a first vinyl pressing limited edition of 500 copies of his music from The Walk. As re-releases go, there's two that caught my eye. Uh, Gianni Ferrio for the work from California, and... Uh, a limited edition of a thousand copies of the Humanoid, scored by Ennio Morricone, who will be doing the score for the soon-to-be-released Quentin Tarantino film, *The Hateful Eight. The first western that Morricone will have scored in over forty years, and something everyone's looking forward to, especially because uh, Tarantino is filming this western in seventy millimeters. I don't even know if any theaters in Vancouver still do that, because I know the Granville had it. However, I suspect the park on Canby should be pulling out some wonderful magic that way for you visceral cinephiles. Anyways, uh, before we get to Star Wars by John Williams, let's take a scenic detour with a major American band who put out their own Star Wars album this year. It's Wilco, and they released an album called Star Wars this summer, initially for free, but eventually it came out on wax and digital through their DBPM label, Digital Beats Per Minute. Uh, Leader Jeff Tweedy indicated it was ironic, since the album cover features a goofy painting of a white Persian cat, and he felt like he wanted to dissociate context for limitless fun. Of course, I'd be remiss to say that uh, if you've been paying attention to local news, the first cat cafe in Vancouver will be opening up shortly. All the permits are in line. I'm 
presumably the permits, and I won't avoid that pun, include some purrers. I just have to think they have to get some cats in that cafe. So I'll talk a little bit more about that once that place opens up. Anyways, this will be Wilco off of Star Wars, the album. This is a track featuring a tool I'm sure George Lucas has used at times for his characters. It'll be random name generator, and uh, most online tools dictate that your Star Wars name is based on... Well, your first name will be the first three letters of your last name, plus the first two letters of your first name. And then as your last name, we take the first two letters of your mother's maiden name and the first three letters of the town you were born in. So, my name is Korga Ikthu, here on Radchi Ubthu. This will be Wilco with Random Name Generator. I'm sure I could probably get the appropriate things that way, but I will leave it as an exercise for the astute listener. This is CITR. We are educational in... Vaguely inappropriate ways.
Nothing, really. <laughs> Not very convincing, Jane girl. Whatever it is, I've got just the cure for it. One, two, three, four. Did you know CITR has a women's collective? This brand new collective is all about providing and fostering a community for women who are or who want to be in radio, fighting the gender disparity in media, and centering women's voices and issues. If you are a female-identified person or ally who's already involved in radio or wants somewhere to start, this collective is for you. Email womenscollective at citr.ca for more information and to get involved. And tune in Friday at 6 p.m. for the collective show, Lady Radio, featuring music, interviews, events, news, commentary. Basically anything we care to talk about. See you then. Well, how do you like it? There's only one word for it.
from the 2009 soundtrack to the web series The Eggnog Experience. That was Al Boyle of the local band Hard Feelings with a track alluding back to the films of 1977. That was Star Wars, Annie Hall. Hard Feelings, a local band that's been on hiatus for a few years and according to the internet, a place where people hang out. I can tell you that in 2012, uh, Boyle released his own solo EP, Wellwind Street, while some of the other members uh, worked on their own little projects. As for the eggnog experience, well, it was a local series about a radio station going through rough times during the holidays, and it was uh, presented by Mental Beast. It was filmed in the old CIT location, the Student Union Building, room 233, on a sub. And the soundtrack featured numerous local acts performing songs, mostly on the holiday Yuletide variety. It included Apollo Ghosts, Brastronaut, Makeout Videotape, well before it became Mac DeMarco, Fine Misht, and Jody Glenham, amongst dozens more. And you can still download the Eggnog Experience for free. So it's advised that you donate something to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank in honor. Now, Christmas and Star Wars have typically had a highly cheesy relationship. Uh, the new Star Wars The Force Awakens screens a week before Christmas Day. But in the past, well, there was a 1980 album, Christmas in the Stars, which featured Anthony Daniels as C-3PO and the legendary sound designer Ben Burtt providing the sound effects for R2-D2 and Chewbacca. What a Wookiee. Uh, Christmas in the Stars was produced by Miko, famous for his disco version of the Star Wars theme, which I should really share sometime, along with some other of his galactic funk. And it actually topped the charts and sold more than the original soundtrack somehow. As credits go, one of the songs marks the recording debut of a young John Bon Jovi, who we later known as John Bon Jovi. So as Christmas approaches, uh, especially with Star Wars coming up, maybe I'll dig up some of the lesser painful songs off Christmas in the Stars. Then there's the notorious 1978 Star Wars Holly special, which really did air on TV. And as someone who has seen it on a bootleg VHS tape in the 90s, it is eye-openingly bad. As many wrong decisions went into going to the Wookiee Homeworld for a variety show about Life Day. Featuring all the Star Wars actors except Alec Guinness and uh, it starred Chewbacca's family, Itchy, and all the others. Uh, there was also B. Arthur, Art Carney, Harvey Corman, and Jefferson Starship. It is so bad. This has to be seen to be believed. Uh, George Lucas has gone on record that he wants to destroy every copy with a sledgehammer, though somehow Carrie Fisher managed to make him give her a DVD copy, uh, which she uses primarily to force company to leave her house once the party's over. Anyways, if you kind of want to experience a uh, cheeky version of the holiday special live, uh, the Real Theater presents a Star Wars holiday special, special edition radio spectacular tomorrow. Featuring for the first time ever uh, the infamous script, which has been translated and parodied into a live radio play. There'll be a costume contest, a trivia contest, a holiday special sing-along, and much, much more. The Star Wars Holiday Special, Special Edition Radio Spectacular. Special, special. This Tuesday, December 8th, doors open at 7, show starts at 8, advanced tickets are $15, regular price is $20 plus service fees. It'll be 25 bucks at the door. It's a 19 and older show. Uh, primary for what the Rio Theater has available for purchase in the lobby. And uh, mostly do want to expose children to the holiday special. Special radio spectacular special. 
uh, because, yeah, whatever faith they had in Star Wars, especially as all the adults and presumably grandparents try to show it to them, you know, just kill their souls. Uh, however, there's one redeeming grace to the holiday special. It introduces the world to Boba Fett, an animated segment done by the Canadian studio Nirvana. Along with having a prominent presence in The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of the Jedi, it's a little weird tease in the second prequel, Attack of the Clones, which I'll touch upon briefly. Fett will be the subject of the first Star Wars spin-off film called Rogue One, which takes its name from his cool iron-shaped spaceship. Rogue One is scheduled for release Christmas 2016. It'll be directed by Gareth Edwards, who did the most recent Godzilla here in North America, and scored not by John Williams, but Alexandra Desplat. But anyways, more Star Wars behind me. This is the British act Napoleon with Baby One Kenobi off this year's Mogi Wonderland EP. And we'll get geeky here. First, we'll be the song off the 1994 Kevin Smith debut uh, film Clerks. This will be Supernova with Chewbacca. And then we'll enter stand-up territory. Chewbacca. <laughs> yourself as an artist, entertainer, or storyteller? Do you want to be the next Leonardo DiCaprio or Christopher Nolan? Well, the UBC Players Club would like to work with you. The Players Club is an ambitious amateur theatre group and the perfect place to get involved in theatre or gain more experience as an actor, director, designer, producer, or anything and everything else theatre related. Our motto, Theatre on Your Own Terms, means the club is entirely student-run and formed around the ambitions of its members. Find us on Facebook or at ubcplayersclub.com. My geekiness is getting in the way of my nerdiness. I'm starting to notice as I grow older. I had this really sad realization. I was thinking the other day about a, uh, a time machine, if I had a time machine, you know, because I'm really into history. Like, would I go back and witness something, or, like find out who Jack the Ripper was or stop the Kennedy assassination? And the first thing I thought of doing if I actually had a time machine is I would go back to around... 1993 or 94, and killed George Lucas with a shovel. That was the first thing that came to my mind. And stop him from making the prequels. That's how I would try to save history. If 
fucking pathetic. I mean, I don't even know how I would have reacted if I had just run into him on the street, like going, oh my God, you're, you're fucking George Lucas, dude. Look, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna bother you and nerd out, but like, Star Wars is one of my favorite movies, and I just wanna thank you, man. Just thanks for all that. It's, it's so great. Ah, oh, you like uh, Star Wars? Um, I got some good news. I'm working on the uh, three prequels, the first three chapters. Oh, really? You're gonna do the, finally! Oh my God, that's awesome, dude. I'm so excited, I can't wait. Well, hey, you say you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, do you like Darth Vader? I, <laughs> I fucking love Darth Vader, dude. The, the helmet and the cape with the sword, that's great, man. Is he in the first movie? Uh, yeah, in the first movie, you get to see him as a little kid. Uh, is he like a little Damien Omen kid, like evil and killing people with his mind and shit like that? No, he's just like this little kid and then he gets taken away from his mom and he's very sad. Uh, I don't really care about him as a little kid at all, at all, at all. I, don't, I just like the helmet and the sword and the cape. That was, was kind of cool about him. Well, hey, don't worry, because guess who shows up in the second movie? Boba Fett. There you fucking Boba Fett, yes! With the helmet and he's a bounty hunter. That is awesome, man. That is so cool. Yeah, and in the second movie, you get to see him as a little kid. <laughs> Again, I don't really care about him when he was a little kid. I like the chip and the helmet and the killing people. Is he like it? Does he have the little helmet on and he's killing people? Is that, is that what's going on? No, he's like this little kid and then his dad dies and he's very sad. <laughs> Do not give a shit at all about that. Could not care less. Well, don't worry because in the third movie, you know what shows up? The Death Star. Awesome, man, that fucking, wait a minute, what is it doing, George? Well, you just see it at the very end of the movie, it's being built and Darth Vader's just kind of looking at it. <laughs> Again, I don't care how they built it, how they put in the toilets or the air conditioning, I just <laughs> like it when it's done and then it's blowing planets up, that's kind of what's cool about it. You look really sad. I, dude, I gotta say, I'm pretty fucking sad, man. That sounds awful. I, that, that all just sounds like shit. Would you like some ice cream? I, I would, yeah, I would like some ice cream. I like ice cream, man. That'd be cool if I had like a, a dish of ice cream. Well, here's a big bag of rock salt. You just said, I was gonna have a dish of ice cream. Well, when you combine the rock salt with ice and cream and sugar and flavoring, it becomes, I don't give a shit where the stuff I love comes from. I just love the stuff I love. Hey, do you like Angelina Jolie? Does she give you a big boner? Well, here's John Voight's ball sack. That's right. The pink glistening ball sack she swam out of. Now jerk off to that, you lucky so-and-so.
a classy man there. Patton Oswalt, uh, reconciling some of the issues that he had with the Star Wars prequels and uh, some, if not most, origin stories. Off his 2007 album, Werewolves and Lollipops, that was At Midnight, I Will Kill George Lucas with a Shovel. Some of you know Oswalt uh, from The King of Queens, or as the voice of Remy the Rat from Ratatouille, but soon Oswalt will be part of the second coming of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Creator Joel Hodgson recently had a Kickstarter campaign to bring back the 90s TV classic, whereby terrible films were mocked openly by robots and an unsuspecting human jensened up in a space station. And uh, Hodgson asked uh, Oswald some advice, and then he asked, would you like to appear on the series? And Oswald lost his mind. And uh, he's going to continue on in the history of uh, TV's Frank by being the TV son of TV's Frank. And I think Felicia Day will be part of the experience, too. And some other people to be determined. Currently, Kickstarter has about $3.8 million raised. We may have to reload it to see the actual number right now. Uh, that means that six new episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 will be made. They're shooting for $5.5 million in the next four days, and if that happens, there'll be 12 episodes. And I can't to see, wait to see what happens when we return to the Satellite of Love. Patton Oswalt's latest album is 2014's Tragedy Plus Comedy Equals Time. There's a stand-up video associated with that. And amongst some other film and TV appearances, his latest book came out this year, Silver Screen Fiend. Recounting four years of his life, watching as many cult movies as possible in the 90s in his attempt to be a true cinephile and to become an auteur, although at the expense of real life. Out of the background, this is the Evil Genius Orchestra with their cheesy, lounge-esque synth take on Joanne Williams' theme from Star Wars. This could be found on the 1999 album Cocktails in the Cantina, so released towards the end of the second phase of the swing revival. Now we'll get into John Williams' music shortly. Seem to be teasing it in front of you, but one thing that's important to note is the way that temp tracks are used to shape film. For those who don't know, composing the music to a film is often one of the last tasks done in post-production, so editors rely on pre-existing music during the editing process to give some guidance to the director of the overall feel and emotion of the film as they sort out the narrative flow. In the case of Star Wars, George Lucas shared with Williams the temp tracks that he used to give some emotional direction. And Lucas had relied on older pieces from various classical realms as inspiration. And we're going to listen to two of those temp tracks since they're tied to films from the 40s. And Lucas was big fans of serials and whatnot. But uh, we'll actually go with uh, a little something that we can readily identify. And those who know Williams Cues quite well know we'll actually hear a serious level of homage here that veers on copycatting. And we're going to start off with Eric Wolfgang Korngold, Jewish-Austrian composer, moved to the States, and he's considered one of the founders of film music. To the point that in 1938, he won the Oscar for Best Score for his work in The Adventures of Robin Hood. Notable for the first time, the head of the studio music department did not receive the award, so the composer finally got it, thanks to Korngold. So in 1942, uh, Korngold wrote the music for the film King's Row. Uh based on a Henry Ballaman novel and directed by Sam Wood, and it was the first, was the breakout for role for Ronald Reagan. And when he became an American president in 1981, the White House requested that the musical score from King's Road be used in the inauguration. And as we'll hear from the theme, there's some serious inspiration to effect here. So from King's Row, this will be Gold with the main theme from a film a long, long time ago.
for a taste of the classics with a twist. Join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. Avete ascoltato una fantasia di motivi tratti dalla colonna sonora del film diretto da Vittorio So we're caught that Italian excerpt there before. Whoops. Here is from the 1948 Italian film Ladri di Biciclette confusing because in English it's known as the pluralized the bicycle thieves not the thief 
That was Alessandro Ciccognini with its theme. And The Bicycle Thieves is a highly regarded film telling the story of a man looking for work in post-war Italy, but after losing his bike, he struggles to find it again so he can work and thus take care of his family. In 1950, The Bicycle Thieves won an honorary Oscar and has been a profound influence on film since, ranging from Robert Altman's The Player to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Cicognini was a composer who worked on Italian films from the 1930s and the 1960s, though a score from the 1953 film Stazione Termini was reused in the 1993 Johnny Depp, Leonardo DiCaprio film What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And the theme from The Bicycle Thieves was also another temp track used by George Lucas during the editing phase of the first Star Wars film, which John Williams used as inspiration for the Dune Sea of Tatooine scene in the first film. We will finally get to A New Hope properly very shortly, but first off behind me, another considered source inspiration. This is the Boston Symphony Orchestra, as conducted by William Steinberg, from a complete recording of Gustav Holst's The Planets from 1971. This is the third movement related to Mercury, the winged messenger. Holst was a British composer who wrote The Planet Suite from 1914 to 1916 in honor of the astrological meetings of the fellow planets in our solar system. And Holst has inspired many a composer since with The Planets after it debuted in 1920. Specific to Star Wars, the Mars Suite was inspiration for the Imperial March theme with its connotations to war. And once I get to an Empire Strikes Back profile, I will share the full eight to nine minute piece with you. Maybe something we can line up in conjunction. It's when the Force Awakens score finally comes out. There is enough talk after these messages. We will explore a galaxy far, far away. My name is Gak. This is Exploding Him Movies here on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Become a part of a movement to think beyond conventional boundaries. The third annual AUS Humanities and Social Sciences Conference, happening on January 16th, invites all undergraduate students to submit their research related to this year's theme of innovation. At this year's conference, you will be inspired by your fellow students' presentations and ideas. Applications are being accepted until December 16th. For more information, please visit the events on the AUS Facebook page. This is Sir Reginald Wainsmere, composer of the film Too Many Tuesdays. You can hear my music and much more on Exploding Head Movies, Mondays at 7 on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver.
from the 1998 Star Wars Breakbeats album that is super genius with technology. Using samples from all manners of robots and other machine noises from the Star Wars trilogy. One of the many awesome facets about Star Wars was the sound production work of Ben Burtt, who gave voice to R2-D2 and Chewbacca, along with every sound effect from the lightsaber to some blaster fire. And super genius is the alias of Morgan Phillips. He's done a lot of looping work on a sampler. He came up with a cheeky album as a tribute to the Star Wars trilogy. Definitely want to do Trials of a Jedi, but I might save that for Return of a Jedi. But I think like the fourth show I did, I opened with it, so... That was almost eight years ago. We can do it again. And behind me, well, in the Star Wars universe, this is Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes with what's known as Dune Sea Special, at least according to an extended universe. But we know it as Cantina Band Number 2, and George Lucas had asked John Williams if he could imagine what would happen if aliens somehow discovered Benny Goodman's swing band music from the 1930s and tried to play it. I don't have any accreditation aside from London Symphony Orchestra, but research shows that nine jazz musicians were brought in to make some jitterbug music. And when Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi were in Mos Eisley's tavern to meet Han Solo and Chewbacca, this was our introduction to a very alien galaxy. So, Yes, Star Wars finally gets its long overdue profile here on Exploding Head Movies. I don't know why it turned into a 1940s announcer, but... As Lucas had spent six years getting the film together after working on a script at one time known as The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of Quills Saga 1, THE Star Wars. After expanding his USC student film THX 1138 to his directorial debut in 1970, Lucas pitched two scripts to studios. One about teenagers in 1962 Modesto, California, which became his 1973 breakout hit American Graffiti. And, uh... After the success of that, which became the most profitable Hollywood film at the time, Lucas was able to work what we've become Star Wars, taking bits of plot and character from diverse films like Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress, the 1930s serial Flash Gordon, which Lucas tried to get the rights to but failed, uh, which became the wacky 1980 film scored by Queen, profiled recently on Exploding Movies. And then once Star Wars started rolling, after filming in Tunisia and England on a tight schedule, Lucas had to find a composer, so his friend Steven Spielberg recommended Williams, who would work on all his early films, ranging from the Sugarland Express to Jaws. And Williams had worked in film and TV for a while, sometimes as Johnny Williams. You can actually hear him play piano on Henry Mancini's Peter Gunn theme. And his first film score was 1958's Daddy-O, received his first Oscar nomination of 48 and counting for 1967's Valley of the Dolls, and he won his first Oscar for 1971's Fiddler on the Roof. So for Star Wars, Lucas Williams were inspired by Richard Wagner, especially the use of leitmotifs. The idea of pairing 19th century romantic music with all the space opera shenanigans allowed the ability to uh, ground an otherwise strange and fantastic setting with well-known audience accessible music. And Lucas has said outright the trilogy's success relies a lot on the music. Williams conducted the London Symphony Orchestra with his score for Star Wars, which was recorded over eight sessions at Anvil Studios in Denham, England. March 5th, 8th through 12th, 15th and 16th in 1977, two months before the movie came out. Now, as we heard earlier, King's Rose theme was offered a sense of how the main titles go, but we should know this theme quite well. So think about what we just heard maybe about 10 minutes ago or so as we kick things off with one of the most adventurous film bits of music there is. (laughs) 
This is John Williams of the London Symphony Orchestra with the main title to Star Wars here. My name is Gek. This is Exploding Head Movies here on CITR 11.9 FM in Vancouver. Not so long ago. Here we go.
the Force was with us all just there. From 1977 soundtrack to the Star Wars, we are John Williams and the London Civic Orchestra, firstly with the main title before leading to the Rebel Blockade Runner, which visually introduced what we thought was a large spaceship being dwarfed by the Imperial Star Destroyers. Then we heard the hologram before us segueing into... Actually, we skipped the hologram at that point. No, actually, that came later. We heard the Dune Sea of Tatooine, which uh, alludes to the Bicycle Thief song that we heard earlier, which led to a bit of the Jawa Sandcrawler, although in some places it's known as the Little People's Vehicle. Then we heard the hologram, which uh, led to the yearning majesty of Binary Sunset. And then we heard the tractor beam, as Obi-Wan fights to disable the device that locks the Millennium Falcon to the Death Star. And then we heard a bit of the Chasm Crossfire, kind of an Errol Flynn-type breakout as Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia get out of jail. The original 1977 release of the soundtrack featured only 70-odd minutes from the film, but that didn't stop it from becoming the largest-selling non-popular music record of all time. However, fans were critical of the sequencing, which wasn't chronologically based, but uh, more track listing that uh, Williams thought to be more listenable. There have been subsequent re-releases and uh, various odd qualities of sound, and uh, it's a bit hard to track accurately what went on a film and what on, uh, went onto uh, either CD or vinyl, because uh, some poor cataloging was done by the appropriate gatekeepers. Now, I've been relying on the 1997 double CD re-release, mostly because I got the old-school 1993 Star Wars Trilogy box set literally about two hours before, or two hours earlier, so like 40 minutes before showtime. But uh, yeah, it was released uh, in conjunction, not the box set, but the double CD with the special editions that were released in TH Sound and Greedo shot and solo first. But introduced CGI, but it would have been a fairly inventive practical effects because Lucas formed the Industrial Light and Magic Company to work on the models. And of course, ILM, which has a prominent studio here in Vancouver. Anyways, uh, Star Wars, massive hit. And Lucas made a lot of money in return, but uh, it was mostly tied to merchandising due to an abstract part of a studio contract. And at the time, Star Wars won six Oscars in 1978. Williams won Oscar for original score, along with the Golden Globe. So, at some point in future shows, we'll talk about more of the subsequent Star Wars films, especially because The Force Awakens comes out soon. Definitely want to look at Empire Strikes Back. We'll see how things work that way. So, that's going to be it for Exploding Hit Movies this week. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it is The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker, and he'll take you to midnight. So, stay tuned for the hippest sounds of jazz music. In the background, this is the Evil Genius Orchestra again with their take of the Cantina Band. Known in Mos Eisley as Mad About Me. If you missed any of the, this week's episode, uh, go to uh, www.citr.ca. Look up Exploding Hit Movies. The playlist and podcast should be up there shortly. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at 100air. And Exploding Hit Movies is also on Facebook and Tumblr. And you can email me anytime, radiofreegack at gmail.com. Next week, uh, we'll do a modification to our usual annual holiday theme by focusing on the jazz pianist Vince Guaraldi. And amongst other music that he did, uh, the 50th anniversary to his score to the holiday TV classic A Charlie Brown Christmas. Mr. Walker helped me out with some recommendations, so we'll pare that down. We'll also include some of the wacky Star Wars holiday music. And then with the Solstice two weeks from now, it'll be time for a festive 15. One of the best songs and one of the best scores from the year in passing. As we'll close off with a song I should have played at the beginning of the year since it was 2015 for only a few weeks more. Back to the Future was 1985. Back to the Future 2 was set in 2015. Here's Huey Lewis with Back in Time.
You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker, coming right up. Do-ba-dee-oo, do-ba-dee-oo, do-ee Ba-do-ba-dee-oo, do-ba-dee-oo, do-ee Ba-do-ba-dee-oo, do-ba-dee-oo, do-ee Ba-do-ba-dee-o